Welcome to the All of Christ for All of Life podcast, brought to you by Canon Plus. This week, you get to listen in on a live Q&A with Doug Wilson about themes from and feedback on his new documentary, How to Save the World in 11 Simple Steps. Watch the full documentary now, only available on Canon Plus. All right, Pastor Wilson. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so we're here today uh, with some folks who have sent in a lot of questions about your documentary, How to Save the World. Okay. Uh, and these are the folks who have, uh, mostly folks who have purchased the How to Save the World bundle. So we want to thank you for ordering that. Um, we've got a couple of questions. Before we get to those, though, uh, we just taped a reaction video where you interacted with Kanye West, Gavin McInnes, talking about Christian leadership and, and kind of how that all right. fits in. This documentary is mainly about what the average Christian can do right. uh, and how to build that kind of Christian culture. Um, it seems like a lot of the conversation in that reaction video was about leadership, where uh, how to get from where we are to where we need to be. What what relationship do you think this the questions in this documentary have to have to the question of leadership and the question of right. big change on a countrywide scale? So the perennial temptation for reformers is the temptation to do everything top down. Okay. Uh, right. If we just get a handful of good people in Washington or on the Supreme Court or, you know, and we pass some laws, then we can institute reform from the top down, right. which is, I think, a radical mistake. But there's an opposite uh, mistake, which uh, maintains that if you just get enough people saved at the bottom, if, if there's... If there's a revival and a big revival and everybody loves Jesus now, that everything's going to automatically fix itself. Mm. Um, no, I, I think leadership is necessary, mm. but leaders can't um, can't do their thing unless there's a consensus mm. of allowing them to lead. You know, we we know generally what we want to do and how we would like it to be. Would you show us the way? Show us mm. the path, yeah. right? Right. So um, the many of the reforms that people are interested in, wanting people who want to save America, um, they will. There will be no political solution from the top down hmm. unless there's a transformation of public manners and morals, where we could say honestly that we have a Christian consensus in the country. But you could have a Christian consensus and still have everybody be be befuddled and not know what to do exactly. Right. And that's where leadership uh, comes in. Hmm. So in the documentary, I talk about the importance of being a good egg. Um, that Developing that Christian consensus and culture in your home, in your family, in your local uh, community, that's really important. Mm -hmm. But at some point, it's going to have to be directed or aimed somewhere. Right. So leaders can't lead without a following, but sheep without a shepherd are not much use either. Related to this, the you were excited, and I was excited when the when Roe v. Wade was overturned. Yes, and it seemed, and I think that there were some statistics that after Roe v. Wade was overturned, the amount of abortions in America went down. Certainly, it's certainly true in a number of states where it yes. went down. Right. Um, in what way? How do you see that relating to that question? It, it, it seems like at the the leaders even when there isn't a broad christian con consensus in the way that we would like 
that that law change or that change at least at the top mm -hmm. did have a lot of good downstream consequences uh, right relatively good yeah very uh, very good consequences mm -hmm. because you, you remember that roe when it was decided mm -hmm. was imposed on all 50 states mm -hmm. same thing happened with Obergefell. it was imposed on a number of states that would not have done that thing by themselves right. and they wouldn't necessarily take up arms to revolt against it either they sort of grudgingly went along with it. So about half the states are reverting to some sort of pro-life legislation in the aftermath of Dobbs. Right. And that means that about half the states in the union were grudgingly going along with Roe for a full generation. Wow. <laughs> right. Right? right. And then when Dobbs came along, the, um, what the, what's then happening, and I think this is a sociological thing, um, because of the conservative majority now on the Supreme Court, they didn't declare Roe unconstitutional on, uh, they didn't declare the unborn child in America a person, mm. right, which would right. have outlawed abortion in all 50. Right. They didn't do that. They kicked the question back to the states. Mm. Now, what that means is that we now have 50 battlefields instead of one big one. Right. 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 And those smaller battlefields are places where leaders, potential leaders, future leaders, can, uh, you know, earn earn their experience, learn their chops. Mm -hmm. learn, you know, when right. you have so, uh, someone who takes leadership in the pro life movement in Oklahoma or in Texas or in Idaho, mm -hmm. uh, it's a it's a it's like the minor leagues. Mm -hmm. Right, you can yeah. you can test your abilities to lead people on a statewide level mm -hmm. um, as we are gearing up for what hopefully will be the ultimate battle on a national level at some point. Sure, we did have a question related to that about about political leadership. What advice would you give a Christian who wants to get involved in politics? Wants to be one of those leaders? Okay, I would say the general principle that Jesus lays down is um, uh, authority flows to those who take responsibility. And so if you want to, instead of running for mayor of your city, serve on committees. <laughs> right. yeah. um, and I, I dare say that in most municipalities, most of the committees are the kind of committee meetings I'd rather have three root canals than, <laughs> than, than, yeah. than go sit on those mm -hmm. committees. Mm -hmm. um, uh, stupid it burns and, and, you, and, you, and you think oh but that's basically i think that you've got to pay your dues um even in local politics so um one of the temptations that christians have is that they get inspired i want to be involved in politics and they go for the spotlight they go for the sexy spot first sure well why don't you pay your dues behind the scenes serve serve on the uh on the traffic committee or on the yeah. yeah, district sewer committee. Yeah. Right. Which seems like that's a different game from becoming a social media influencer in right. politics, sort of having, right. having the, the hottest takes the fastest. Right. Now, of course, if you um, if you are in social media, if that's what you're doing, mm -hmm. then you ought to be looking for a way to serve there mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. How, how can it uh, basically you want to avoid the temptation of going for the glory that's not the way there to get the, the yeah. and it's not that uh, it's not that um going for the glory or going for the influential position of mayor or governor or senator or whatever is a bad thing mm. 
it's a good thing. Jesus doesn't tell us that the the chief seats at the banquets in the synagogues are a bad thing. Mm-hmm. He tells us how to get into them. <laughs> right, right. He doesn't he doesn't mm-hmm. say rip out the chief seats. Mm-hmm. He says the way to get into the chief seats uh, is by service, mm-hmm. by, by giving yourself away. And so if you work for a studio, then how can you be a servant at that studio? If you if you work in a media influencer, you know the the world is a very different place than it used to be, and the on because there didn't used to be an internet, right? And you had three major television networks, and so but the principles uh, stay the same. How can if you're with an organization or um, you know a blog? Uh, a, a vlog or a video show or a me, you know some sort of meat organization there will be people behind the camera people behind the camera people who are making the whole thing come together mm-hmm. and you want to be among them as someone who leads by serving mm-hmm. and yeah. serves by leading right what would you say and back to the specific point about uh social media what would you say are some ways that christians could get better in social media interactions and, and specifically in the area of politics and reformation i think people get maybe a firebrand mentality and and that can go yeah wrong in a couple of ways i'm sure um i think that when it comes to political cultural engagement the first thing that christians need to learn is the lesson on how to be less shrill yeah, yeah. <laughs> less shrill that's the besetting sin of of conservatives mm. because they look at look at all this damage they look at the people wrecking the country they look at these things and they get mad they lose their tempers Mm -hmm. and and then they go on they they rant Mm -hmm. and instead and ranting doesn't might make you feel better temporarily but it doesn't (laughs) but it doesn't fix anything Mm -hmm. and so uh i i think that quite honestly diehard conservatives need to develop a real true and abiding sense of humor uh, I think G.K. Chesterton did an awful lot in the 20th century to keep England from going the ways a number of European countries went. Mm. And I think he did it with his unique brand of Chestertonian mm-hmm. opposition yeah. that was full of the joy of life. Mm-hmm. He hated the merchants of death. He hated, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but he fought them effectively because of his demeanor. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Friedman talks about how you can tell if a culture is being led by an anxious, is, has an anxious, if you're living in an anxious culture, if the hum- sense of humor goes out, if yeah. the playfulness yeah. goes out. It seems like Chesterton, you don't ever think of him as being anxious. anxious. No. I, it's just the, the opposite of that kind of right. thing. Very, yeah. very opposite. And that's, that's why I, I believe that Christians need to cultivate a Chestertonian approach to the, their culture wars. Mm-hmm. Not because, it, and people are going to say, but this is serious. They're killing children and they've got this travesty of marriage and all that. Yeah, right. it's so important that we ought to figure out a way of fighting effectively, right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, if, if, right. We, if we think this is a travesty, and it is, or these things are travesties, and they are, then we ought to fight effectively. Mm. And, and humor mm-hmm. is really effective. Yeah. It seems like it's also related to Lewis's learning in wartime, uh, just being able to devote a bunch of attention even when there's a war on mm-hmm. to being the best to growing as a person right because, because that is building up that culture that you want to defend right um there's a question here from grant uh which i think is related um 
He says, Doug, I thank God for you, but I have many friends who are wary of you due to something regarding federal vision. Um, can you clear the air regarding this issue? Uh, why do so many people love the Puritans and have a hard time with your ministry? Um, I think underneath that question is, you know, do we have, what is the federal vision trying to rescue or what, what is right. the, a covenantal way of thinking trying to rescue that is actually important to right. your mission? I'm, I'm happy to talk about the federal vision, but for a number of years, I said, yeah, I'm federal vision, and this is what I mean by it. Mm -hmm. But I've I found that for some reason, thinking just shuts down <laughs> when yeah, you right. when those fatal words are uttered. Yeah. You know, it's like a big off switch. Sounds, yeah. sounds FV, and so uh, I'm I'm willing to t to say what the federal vision guys were after, and what I'm still after, mm -hmm. but maybe not have the the phrase set you on fire. Mm -hmm. um, and what what we're after is. The, what I call the objectivity of the covenant, mm -hmm. right? So uh, American Christianity, uh, being evangelical, has emphasized rightly the necessity of the new birth, which is an individual by individual thing. Right. And uh, we go to heaven or hell by ones. Right. And it's you're either born again or you're not. You're either regenerate or you're not. So without taking anything away from that, mm -hmm. We also need to recognize that the visible church, the visible covenant people of God, is also a thing. Mm. It, it, it's not just uh, too many Christians, too many American Christians think of the visible church as simply the sum total of all the church directories. Mm. It, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's what we do. The visible church is what we do. Mm -hmm. But the objectivity of the covenant means that the visible church is something that God recognizes god honors so when someone becomes a christian um there's two ways that you can say, say that you can you can speak of a person becoming a christian in two different ways mm -hmm. okay and both of them they're really becoming some sort of a christian mm -hmm. okay one of them has to do with the one that evangelicals are used to they they've they've cried out to god they've prayed they've been born again they've experienced their sins being washed away. Mm -hmm. um, so they've been individually converted mm -hmm. and they say to their friends, I've become a Christian. Okay. That's very good. Um, but there's another sense where someone becomes a Christian when they are baptized in the triune name mm -hmm. and they are publicly identified by means of the sacrament that Christ appointed mm -hmm. to make this identification with all others who are baptized in the triune name. Mm -hmm. That's the visible church. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, we we believe that Christians should be able to say, I'm a Christian, in the same way that a Muslim can say, I'm a Muslim, and point to the Muslim people. Mm -hmm. And a Jew can say, I'm a Jew, and point to the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. The same way that a Hindu can say, I'm a Hindu, and point to the... Um, Christians don't know who they are as a people, mm -hmm. right? right? And the closest we've gotten to it in our culture wars is... Christians who think of themselves as a as a lobbying organization, right. you know, I'm a, I'm a born again Christian and I vote, mm -hmm. and and we have representatives in Washington who uh, talk about, it. but that's but that's the same sort of influence that big tobacco has or the sure. or the yeah. gun lobby or other and but One I want more hand on the tug of war rope, right? Yeah, sure. uh, but I want Christians to corporately speak with more moral authority than that. Mm -hmm. yeah. it, and uh, in a, as a related concern, I think, with the documentary I've, I've seen online is 
this seems like a bunch of instructions on how to do what what to do. It seems like there's doesn't seem like there's a lot of grace in eleven steps, <laughs> um, that sort of thing. So is, right. is are these your just eleven new commandments that you <laughs> that you've uh, decided to bring down? Yeah. Um, so the let's go let's go back to answer that question. Let's go back to the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. um, if you said to the average Christian today, are the Ten Commandments grace or law? Right. And the answer is de it depends. It depends. The preamble of the Ten Commandments is all grace. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Yeah. That's the preamble. Right. So the, the Ten Commandments, rightly understood, is a get-to, not a got-to. This is what um, Paul says in Romans 13, owe no man anything except the debt of love. Uh, and he says the, the, all the commandments, whatever they may be, mm. are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. All right, so um, it's not... Um, it's not oppression to say that we should love each other, <laughs> or, or at least it, it seems to me it shouldn't be. Um, so basically, uh, there are many issues related to this, but let me describe it this way. Many Christians have um, want to speak about a law gospel or a law grace hermeneutic. And when you say hermeneutic, that means you're interpreting the you're using that as your grid for interpreting the Bible as though you could color code your Bible and say all the words in blue are law and all the words in red are grace. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like you divide the, these are law passages and these are grace passages. But the problem is that what, what color code would the 10 commandments be? Yeah. Is that law or grace? Mm -hmm. Well, it depends, right? It, it depends yeah. because the Bible does teach that the law condemns. The Bible does teach that the law exacerbates the problem of sin. Mm -hmm. So the law can be law, but the gospel can be law too. Mm -hmm. Because Paul says that the uh, message of the cross is the aroma of death mm -hmm. to those who are perishing. Right. So rather than say these passages, the, these verses are law verses, and these laws, these verses are grace verses, I would prefer to say there is a law-grace division, but it's not in the text. And it's not in what we're talking about. It's in the human heart. Hmm. So there's a, there's a line that runs down the middle of the human race. And gracious hearts, that is regenerate hearts, mm -hmm. people who've been born again, hear everything from God as gift, as grace, as hmm. goodness. Yeah. And people who are law hearts, people who have law hearts, mm -hmm. everything is received as demand, hmm. as condemnation as mm -hmm. thou shalt not, right? right? Mm -hmm. And so consequently, if you have someone with a law heart, of course, they hear thou shalt not commit adultery as an intolerable burden, mm -hmm. right? And they also hear repent and believe the gospel as an intolerable burden. Right. It's the, the gospel, the message of the cross, is the aroma of death to those who are perishing. Mm -hmm. That's to the law heart. Right. But to the gracious heart, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The right. law is grace. For, the, for a person who's been touched by the grace of God, the law of God is grace. The grace of God is grace. Mm -hmm. Any word from God is grace right. because God is good. And so these 11 steps to save the world, if you, are, uh, if you belong to the school of Christianity that says everything will be better if I just pedal harder, <laughs> right. then, then yeah, how to save the world in 11 simple steps is going to be an intolerable burden. Starting with the first one, the first one is be a good egg. Mm -hmm. Well, how can I do that? How can I strain 
yeah. and, and be a good egg. Right. Oh, it has to be done for me. It's got to be grace, mm. right? It's yeah. all, all of it's grace. Yeah. And we live in a time when you are a man or you are a woman is seen as an unbearable burden right. to people. So right. the, even, even natural revelation is then seen as, Every, as either good news or bad news, depending on yeah, who God, you're talking to. Yeah, God gave me my chromosomes, and that is an insult to me. <laughs> right, right. An, an unbearable insult. How dare he? Yeah. <laughs> who, or, does, yeah. who does he think he is? <laughs> or it can be really good, helpful news to yeah. a person and say, this is what I'm supposed to grow up into. If we receive it with gratitude, which we can only do if our hearts are changed, then all of it's grace. Mm. And I think I've even seen that in parenting where learning the Ten Commandments has been good news to yeah. my children. Yes. And, and just them being able to appeal to those and think, am I doing this or that? It provides just an, an immense yeah. gift of moral clarity. Right. Up, the world can be right side up. Yeah. Right. I, right. I, up can be up and down mm -hmm. can be down. Right. And, and that that's real security. Right. That's good news. Yeah. Um, another question here. Um, it says, uh, let's see, I'm going to get to the actual question. What was your take on, so um, there was a recent issue that came up. It said, uh, what was your take on the cross-politic issue that blew up regarding Baptist theology? Um, and I, I think that that also has something to do with the potency of the church and, and um, who is a Christian and that sort of thing. What, did, you, did you have any thoughts on that? And do you think that has something to do with uh, yeah, saving the world? Yeah, I think that... Um, that was a controversy that pretty much nobody saw coming. <laughs> sure, right, <laughs> right? right. And had they um, had they seen it coming, it could have been framed, or you could have prepared for it, mm -hmm. uh, prepared for it more elegantly. Right. Um, but I'll, I think that this this would be I'm not trying to speak for the cross politic guys, but this would be my post post mortem of the mm -hmm. of the whole thing. Um, when you say Baptist theology is a root uh, a root cause of the transgender thing i would i would have preferred to say talking about the same thing i would have preferred to say that decisional regeneration is the upstream driver of a lot of this hmm. okay sure. so the problem is not uh that you believe that baptism should be administered to someone only if they've made a credible profession of faith. Mm -hmm. The issue is the Pelagianism or the semi-Pelagianism mm -hmm. of the of the common Arminian. I make the decisions, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Who's who's going to decide if if you take the pop evangelicalism, the pop evangelical appeal mm -hmm. to um, to the unconverted. Most of which in North America is Baptistic, mm. right? So right. There's, the Baptist issue is there, but it's Arminian Baptistic. Mm -hmm. Okay, right. so if you say to them, "What you, where you're going to spend eternity is up to you," mm. yeah. <laughs> right? Everything important is up to you. Right. You make your own decisions. What you're doing, the most important thing, the most sure. important things. <laughs> sure. Right. Um, what you're doing is you're enshrining the human will. You're granting way too much autonomy hmm. to individuals right. heaven or hell christ or chaos you know yeah. you you're going to serve christ or the devil it's up to you mm -hmm. um well why if that's the case then boy or girl up to you hmm. why that's trivial in comparison actually right right <laughs> right yeah. so um i believe that the culprit in this is our emphasis on you must make a decision, and you're the one who has the authority to make the decision. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not so much Baptistic versus um, 
uh, pedo-baptist, I would prefer to frame this same issue that Jason Farley, who's the one who spoke this, mm -hmm. was addressing. I would prefer to frame it in terms of um, re classic Reformed theology, Calvinism, mm -hmm. versus Arminian decisional right. uh, authority. Mm -hmm. um, the one grants way too much autonomy to the human will. Right. And once you've granted autonomy to the human will, why do you get to say, uh, uh, not so... <laughs> yeah. Not so you no, you can't decide that on any particular right, sure, on, on the on particulars. particulars. Um, one of our favorite, you've recently had a conversation with one of our favorite Reformed Baptists, uh, James White, yes, uh, about Christian nationalism, uh, which again, I think dovetails with the documentary. Um, where he he was had the question, you know, and and the the episode was called, you know, Christian nationalism are Baptists allowed? What, what would you how, how would you characterize his concern? And would you would you say that that is at least an understandable historical concern? Yeah, it's um, uh, it is fully an understandable historical concern. Baptists are jumpy about um, uh, Christian states mm -hmm. because in the past, even in the Reformation era, Baptists were persecuted for being Baptists. Mm -hmm. Now you have to make a distinction between uh, magisterial Baptists, Reformed Baptists. And Anabaptists, right. there's a there's a surface similarity because of the uh, insistence on baptism after your profession of faith, right. but uh, you always have to realize that church church history is complicated, mm -hmm. and um, and when you have a state church and the Anabaptists are running naked through Safeway again, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? yeah, and and you send the sheriff out to round them up. <laughs> That's not necessarily persecution. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. Right. So um, in the uh, in the Reformation era, you had all kinds of uh, well, some of them were tragedies. The Anabaptist seizure of the town of Munster and the appalling atrocities that went on that uh, that went on there. Right. Uh, Luther Luther's response to the peasants' revolt, um, and then you had. Good and diligent and godly Baptists right. who came to the conclusion that they came to, and they're all lumped in together. Right, and and then the the state churches, whether Lutheran or Anglican or Reformed, mm -hmm. are all by the Baptists are all lumped in together. Mm -hmm. right. right, right. So um, because that's what happens when things polarize. Mm -hmm. So Stephen Wolf in his book, he has a a good section on this. He he mm -hmm. says. Absolutely. Is, is there a place for Baptists in this Christian nationalism? Mm -hmm. He says, absolutely there is. He said that he as a paedo-baptist thinks it's going to be a, a harder to do the theology that gets you there mm -hmm. from a Baptist, from Baptist assumptions. Okay. But he's happy for the Baptists to join him, mm -hmm. but he just doesn't want to do their that work for them. Sure. Because it's their project. It's, it's their project. Mm -hmm. And and I would say to the Baptists, uh, to conscientious, godly, um, magisterial Baptists mm -hmm. today, that that is work that's well worth doing. Mm -hmm. And the reason it's well worth do doing is you might be nervous. You might be nervous about living under, let's say, a Presbyterian state, mm -hmm. right? But I think the Presbyterian state, for all its warts, would be way better than the secular state you're living under now. Right, right. You've advocated for a long time, not just uh, Christian nationalism is a recent movement. You've advocated uh, 
for a long time, mere Christendom, mere Christendom, uh, right. which seems to assume at least two Christian nations, right, and <laughs> and those working together, right. Um, the Christian nationalism part, the the nationalism part of it, and if there are two Christian nationalist nations, it seems like they would be two Christian nations working for their own good as far as their nationhood first, mm -hmm. right. So if if America and Canada both are Christian nations. It would be America. They'd be thinking in terms of nations, America first or Canada right. first, respectively. But see, uh, this this is um, a place where people get hung up on on uh, terminology, mm -hmm. uh, semantics, and I don't ever want to be accused of being anti-semantic. <laughs> I hear, the, I hear, I hear that that's bad. <laughs> so, Wise. Wise. Um, you have two Christian families living in a town side by side. They're good friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's say the Thompsons and the Smiths, mm -hmm. right? They're living side by side. The the head of the household of the Thompsons, Mr. Thompson, it's Thompsons first. Sure. Right? right. Um, and Mr. Smith, it's the Smiths are first. Right. Okay. Yeah. And Paul said, the Apostle Paul says, if he doesn't take care of his own people first, mm -hmm. he's worse than an unbeliever. Mm. Right. Okay. Right. Now, the, the, uh, when when people hear, um, and this is par partly because of the, um, the the movement it grew out of, but mm -hmm. America first or the make America great again, the whole Trump thing. Right. Uh, people think um, it's America first and screw the rest of you guys. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, as though Thompson says, I'm going to take care of my family first. He can, he can say that two different ways. I'm going to take care of my family first and we're going to uh, we're going to be disciplined and we're going to save so we can have extra money to donate to orphanages overseas. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, or he could or. say, it's just, just us. We, we only care about us. Mm -hmm. All right. So if let's say they, they're taking care of their own kids and they have this long discussion and they say, you know, I think we can take in a foster child. We can, why don't we start doing foster care? Mm -hmm. Husband and wife, everybody would say this is a sacrificial thing to do, a goodly, good and godly thing to do. Mm -hmm. God bless you people for doing it. Yeah. But they're giving out of their disciplined surplus. Mm -hmm. right. If they took in 28 foster children, mm -hmm. okay, right. via an uncontrolled border, <laughs> right. mm -hmm. just say. Unlock the door. Sure. <laughs> un unlock the door. Mm -hmm. We're going to bring 28 uh, foster kids in now they're not taking care of their own kids and they're not taking care of the foster kids mm. they've simply swamped the whole project right they're not doing any good to anybody mm -hmm. right right and so what's happening here is this um the the idea that that each nation pursue pursuing its own interest mm -hmm. people automatically assume that that leads to a calloused disregard of everybody else sure but that's we don't think that way of families Right, we we think well, the Smiths and the Thompsons and everybody should take care of their own uh, their own issues first, mm -hmm. as Paul says in Galatians six. Everybody should carry his own burden, mm -hmm. but then he says in the same chapter, bear one another's burdens. Mm -hmm. So yeah. when Mister Smith breaks a leg, right, um, Mister Thompson helps out and gives him rides, you know, yeah. gives him rides to work, and mm -hmm. you know, you, that's that sort of thing should go without saying, but. The national Christian nationalism makes people automatically think that that it's self-absorbed and self-centered by definition, mm -hmm. and uh, and I think one advantage of mere Christendom is that it presupposes multiple nations 
following Christ, seeking their own good first within the boundaries of Christ's law, mm-hmm. and getting along with each other, not going to war with each other. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, mere Christendom is a harmonious project. Mm-hmm. Um, someone might be excused for thinking that Christian nationalism is a project that succeeds when you just have one nation, mm-hmm. and that's the chosen nation. The best one. Sure. And that's the best one, <laughs> yeah. and, and we don't care about the rest of you guys, mm-hmm. which I don't think is um, what Wolf is talking about. Mm-hmm. And it may be also that people are, that the idea of Christian families who are, are existing as Christian families, seeking their own interests first and working together and being kind to each other is also foreign to people. Right. And, and that that being foreign to people is contributing to not being able to even imagine right. that there might be nations that do the same way. Um, you've told, you talked in the documentary a little bit about um, a good father being able to give to his children the gift of knowing what leadership looks like and what good mm-hmm. Christian leadership looks like, like so that they can imagine what a good civil leader might look like. Right, um, right. Because you're modeling, you're modeling for your kids what fatherhood looks like. Mm-hmm. And fatherhood is at the center of the cosmos. Mm-hmm. God the Father is the one uh, after whom all fatherhood in heaven and earth derives its name, right. as Paul says in, in Ephesians. And so it's there that you learn priorities. Mm-hmm. Augustine talks about rightly ordered affections. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to have affections, I believe, for my town, mm-hmm. for my neighborhood, for my family, for my people for my country. Um, but And the Apostle Paul did. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Jew. You know, he, he was an Israelite. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. But he was also a, a citizen of Tarsus, a city, uh, no, no contemptible city, no mean city, he tells the mm-hmm. centurion. Uh, kind of proud of little civic pride there. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? So I'm from Tarsus, mm-hmm. uh, no mean city. And he's also a Roman citizen. Mm-hmm. Which he uses a number of times. Now those are those loyalties are very different, and they can all occupy the same person, mm-hmm. right? right? But in order for them to occupy the same person, you they can't be all equivalent, operating on the same level, mm-hmm. because if my loyalty as an, an American is on the same level as my loyalty to Christ. And is on the same level as my loyalty to my spouse and family, mm-hmm. and on the same level as my affinity for the Seattle Seahawks. I'm going to be one convoluted mess, <laughs> right? Because right. Th- because these loyalties are all going to come into conflict naturally, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't come into conflict if I've if they're arranged in a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. All right, my loyalty to Christ is above all. So uh, uh, Rahab. Um, has a certain affection for Jericho, I would assume, mm-hmm. but it it does not rank her um, willingness to follow Jehovah because he's the true God. Pastor Wilson, I think that's a good place for us to stop. Thank you so much for sitting thank, down with us. Thank you. Happy to do it. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the documentary, How to Save the World in 11 Simple Steps, available only on Canon+. Plus. Mm-hmm.